try to figure out what your voice is. Like, don't try to be someone you're not because it's just never going to work. Figure out what your little differentiator is and just hammer that. That's Ross Pomerantz, creator of Corporate Bro and the founder of Corp Capital. People buy from people. And as much as you can infuse your own voice and humanity into it, it's going to feel different. and It's going to feel truer. I'm Michael Mogul, founder and CEO of Crisp, the nation's number one law firm growth company. I've built my business through practice, not theory. Crisp started with just $500 to my name and has grown to over eight figures in revenue over the last few years, earning a spot on the Inc. 500 list of the fastest growing private companies in America. Our approach has been to take everything we've learned about generating massive growth within our own organization and help the country's most ambitious and committed law firm owners do the same for theirs. In each episode of this podcast, I sit down with innovative market leaders from the legal industry and beyond to learn from those who thrive in the face of adversity, challenge the status quo, and define what it means to be a true game changer. I sat down with Ross Pomerantz to discuss what really happens in the world of sales, the difference between content creators and influencers, and how to cultivate a large and engaged social media community. If you want to exist in a certain space, participate in that space. So those people will start to know who you are. And that's the easiest thing you can do early on is just start engaging. You don't need to put out content, just be part of the combo. That's coming up on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. Before we begin today's episode, I want to remind you that we aren't beholden to any sponsors or run any ads on this podcast. This allows us to present all of our episodes raw and unfiltered. I'm not going to push any made-to-order meal services on you or try to save you any money on your car insurance. That being said, I have one small request. If you receive any value from this podcast, please give it a five-star review. Pay the fee so we can keep this podcast free. Ross, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much. Honored to be here. This is going to be a lot of fun. So I don't know how many of the people listening have seen you or any of your videos, but I can promise you that they will either pause this podcast at some point or right after the podcast and go and watch this stuff. So now between content creator, comic, writer, producer, entrepreneur, uh, known by, can we what say- a douchebag. Can we say millions? <laughs> known by millions? Yeah. Yeah. You know, millions that, that around would be the world? fair. Billions? Liked by millions? No. Known. Known, known. by millions, I, yes. I actually, I heard from a colleague over the weekend. He was saying that the advice that his father gave him was that you know the goal in life is to be known for something. It doesn't have to be something good, but yeah. just to be known for something. Right. Be memorable. That's it. But I'd love to take it back to the early years of what shaped Ross and like, why are you the way you are? Well, I'm from here, from Atlanta. I have like, I was telling other folks, I haven't been back in 19 years. It's been a, it's been a minute, but Atlanta was hugely influential on me. I mean, I was, you know, growing up on Outcast, and, you know, that'll make you some sort of way. And um, I moved to the Bay Area when I was 14, 13, 14, like right when I was just starting to talk to girls. So that was a rough time for me. And I, uh, no accent, no accent. So I still say y'all and I'll, um, It'll come out a little bit in certain situations, mostly involving drinking. But when I moved, people were like, oh, you say y'all, do you live on a plantation? I would get ridiculed. New kid in school. Everybody's been going to school together for whatever, seven, eight years. And I just got bullied for it. So I went from saying y'all to saying hella. And, you know, that's he- or hecka before you could say hella before your parents would let you say that. So I lost the accent and it's one of my bigger regrets. Because the accent kind of plays. But I grew up a big baseball player, kind of played all the sports, thought I was going to be a major leaguer, still a huge Braves fan. No one told me that I was going to only be 5'11", so I wasn't exactly projectable to scouts. I threw pretty hard and had a two-year stint in uh, independent minor league baseball. 
But I decided, I was like, if, if I'm not successful in baseball, I'm going to be successful in business. What the fuck does that mean? I don't know. I didn't even know what it meant. What, I don't know, business or just do business stuff. And so like many washed up athletes with no hard skills at all who didn't focus that hard in college, I uh, ended up in sales, tech sales. So I went to go work at Oracle for a business development role. And I was like, yeah, I'm down to go develop some business. Like, I don't know what that means, but Oracle, that's where the Warriors play. And it was sales. Turned out it was sales. So I was on the phones, ripping dials, calling, you know, IT folks, uh, selling products I didn't understand, working with Fortune 100 companies, which is wild. I'm like 22. I don't know what the hell anything is and slanging deals. And so during that time, I was miserable, as most folks are in sales, because it's a really hard job and one of the greatest skills you can possibly learn. You were forced to learn it when you're pitching this company or pitching this product for, you know, it was 22, 20, it was probably a lot more than 21, 22 times. But I was like, I got to document this. I was like, how the hell is this? I was in this building called Twin Dolphin. So Oracle has this beautiful campus right off the freeway and they're shaped like database buildings. Database is not a physical thing, but in theory, they build the buildings in the shape of databases. Cool. Across the streets where all the salespeople go in this shithole called Twin Dolphin. Three, 4,000 salespeople, place smelled horrible. It was like a locker room, truly. 20 to 40 years old, slanging millions and millions of dollars no idea what they're selling, no idea what they're doing. And I was like, why is no one talking about this? Like, this is how I ended up here in the first place because no one told me what this was. I just was like, oh, that's a cool sounding company and I'm going to go there. And that's when I started Corporate Bros. I looked around, I was like, everybody here is a corporate, just a corporate bro. Man, woman, doesn't matter. Corporate bros. We're all wearing like button downs and khakis and whatever dress stuff that didn't quite fit us. We'd go party super hard on the weekends, come back, just hung over and do it all over again. And... I was like, yeah, I got to document this. I got to talk. So I created Corporate Bro, which was, for lack of a better description, the video version of Dilbert. So Corporate Bro was always third person, and I was playing the character of Corporate Bro. So it all started as Corporate Bro, Corporate Bro has a rough sales call. Corporate Bro nearly dies in his chair. We had these chairs that would lean back slightly too far. You know, that moment where you're like, oh my God, I thought it was going to tip. They were never going to tip, but you feel like that. So it was all the little things. Back when headsets were wired, you'd forget it was around your neck. Someone's like, do you want to go to lunch? You get up, you walk away, and you hang yourself briefly. So it was just making fun of dumb little shit like that. And it was purely catharsis. And this was around the time, I think, was, was Vine that was taken off? Vine, exactly. Yes. Six second videos back in the infant days of social media before Instagram even had video long before TikTok. I mean, Vine was basically the OG TikTok. They just didn't have the, the algorithms. They didn't have the machine learning and all that stuff. So I just was making it for my team. I didn't have any intent to be a social media content creator or influencer, as they say, I, I just did it because it made me feel better. Even prior to all this, had you kind of dabbled at all in comedy or skits or anything like that? So growing up, and I think this is probably part of my move from Atlanta. I mean, I was always the shy, funny kid and it was purely a defense thing. I think I was just, I know still am probably uh, very self-conscious and it was kind of like Eminem and eight mile where he's like, if I freestyle about myself and shit on myself, then nobody else can hurt me because I've already said it all. And so it was very similar to that. I was just very self-deprecating. I, you know, would rag on myself and I was the weird goofy guy. No one ever pushed me towards creative or comedy for that matter. You know, people would be like, oh, you should totally do stand-up. And I'm like, yeah, okay, sweet. Never took a step towards that. You know, that's why it was always like business. I was going to be successful in business. My mom is in financial services for 45 years. She just retired. I mean, my dad's a sports journalist, so that's creative. I would say he's a writer and, you know, it's like, I'm going to be nothing like my parents. And yet here I am a basically a business writer in, in, in a lot of ways. Film school never crossed my mind. 
I don't even think I became intellectually curious until my late 20s. So when you were putting out the first videos, even on Vine, like what was the response then? I imagine it didn't go viral immediately. I mean, just even even internally amongst friends. And then like, how long did it take until it hit this kind of like critical mass? I've never gone viral. I, I mean, in my opinion, standards, I never had like I wasn't someone who was just toiling around and had one video just pop off and overnight success. It's been sort of a process of trying to put out one video a week for nine years. I would say critical mass hit. So I started kind of doing it for fun. You know, it was just making fun of my friends and you know, my, my team liked it. They shared it with another team. And then, you know, kind of internally at Oracle, it was just like, oh, when are you going to do the next video? I was like, I don't know, when I hit my number and I have time. And there was no rigor to it. But 2015, one of my teammates at Oracle had sent my videos to renowned publication, Total Frat Move, and another one called Bro Bible, both of which just, I mean, we're talking like New York Times, Wall Street Journal shit. And they published my stuff. And they were like, this is the account you should follow. And they were Barstool before Barstool. So they actually were a pretty active community. And for me, that took me from like the thousands to the tens of thousands, probably like low 10, maybe 12, 13,000. And that was the first time I was ever like, huh, this could work. And this is funny to people who aren't my friends because I always like, I'm funny in context with my friends because they know me. It's, oh, it's Ross, he's doing that dumb shit again. But this was like, oh, other people are resonating. And they have no context of who Ross is. And that's when I decided to be like, let's write, let's have a, a filming schedule. Let's start putting some thought behind this. 2015, I think that's when that happened. And when you were doing all the different videos and skits, was it was it just based off personal experiences that you had? Like, where did the ideas come from? Yeah. I mean, just shit that happens in the office. I mean, it was all, it was all the things. Like I said, the headset thing, I was choking myself three times a week accidentally. The chairs, same thing. Phone calls, you're getting just berated on phone calls. Anything at all. I mean, it was all, I kind of kept a little journal, wrote notes on my phone, notes on post-its, wherever shit would happen. And like to do what I do, and I think a lot of other content creators would say the same thing, your antenna just has to be on at all times. Even in a serious moment, whatever, prospects saying something to you, your manager saying something to you, there's just moments of ridiculousness and hilarity behind this whole guise of, of what we call professional. For somebody listening who has not been in sales, I don't know how, how much they could relate to this, but it's just, it seems like sales is one of those things that it's kind of stranger than fiction. The, the experiences that you have, like even the, you know, I watched some of the cold calls, oh, God. Um, playing those back, like the actual cold calls. And you're like, yeah, a human being actually spoke to another human being that way. Yes. And then happened all day long. And the, these are actual things that are taking place in sales on a day to day basis. Yeah. I mean, you know, you hear the word sales or salesperson. And everyone's like, oh, God, no. You have a visceral reaction. You, you feel defensive and um you know, I, I definitely thought that way. And there are bad salespeople. There are grimy salespeople. There are sleazy salespeople, just like there are shitty software engineers and there's shitty versions of everything. But salespeople, they're people facing. They get the bad rap. And I kind of learned, especially in tech sales, which is my background, there is oftentimes demonstrable ROI. Like you can have a business discussion. It doesn't become like, oh, you're trying to con me. Like you can have the numbers to back it up. You can like present a business case for something. And so you're selling it in what I would consider more intelligent, less sleazy, like you're trying to play psychological games with someone to try and trick them into something. You actually would believe for good reason and for real reasons that what you're doing can help someone's business. And God, my cognitive dissonance is strong, but I still believe that. And I, and I felt like there is some honor in this. There is sales is essentially the Marines of business. Okay, don't blow me up, everyone, for comparing it to a military point that, but they're the front lines, right? You send them in first, the waves, they're getting blown up, there's legs flying everywhere. Like, without that, you're not going to 
get places without selling, without the salespeople, without you selling, your sales team selling, like this company doesn't really exist. Someone's got to sell something for something to happen. Kind of makes the world go around. Oldest, largest profession on earth. So I kind of got into this mission of, oh, how do I put some respect on sales name? Well, I make fun of it and I just call out the bullshit. And that's sort of where, where I'm at at this point. So I still believe sales is the most important skill you can have. Lawyers listening to this, that's all they're doing. Selling in court. I just want to kind of change and reframe the way people think about sales folks. Not to say some of them don't deserve the shitty reputation they get. I think to to have any sort of longevity in sales, you have to, I don't think you can take yourself too seriously, right? I mean, you got to have some fun with it. I know the acronym that you coined, sadness. Sadness, sadness. So for those listening, if you could yeah, speak sadness. to that. Uh, so most people have heard of ABC, always be closing. So sadness stands for sales are dope, never ever stop selling. And that's just because sales can be dope. When you're closing business, you're king, queen of the world. And then when it sucks, it really sucks. I mean, it sucks a lot. You lose all the time. But those wins are just the best. I don't know of an, of an equivalent in business outside of like closing a deal and what that feels like. You can equate it to sports, like hitting a home run, running around the bases while everyone watches you. The whole game stops because you. So sadness just kind of became my, my mantra and a bunch of people picked up on it. It's weirdly a thing now. I, I, like, I have these moments, especially content creation is very lonely most of the time. I don't live in LA. I live in San Francisco and there's, I'm not rubbing shoulders with influencers. And I, 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 frankly, I hate that entire culture, but you have these moments where you're like, I'm done. Like I got nothing. I got no more ideas. I'm, I'm not funny anymore. And I have, I have a stupid little neon light that's sadness in my office. And I'll just like sit there and I'll sometimes look at it. Like that means something to people. They're not sitting there at home. Like, God, I'm so thankful for sadness. But like they hear that acronym, they know that acronym and they understand that acronym. Like, it's weird to me that that's the case. But that gives me a little perspective at times. It's so dumb. It's so lame. But for me, I'm like, ah, I've done something. Because so many times you want to quit. Yep. You're just like over it. You lay face down on the ground. You're just like, this fucking sucks. And you can tell. I mean, the, the content obviously resonates with people. I mean, you look in the comments. People are sharing it. They love it. Has there been people who received the content or they see it and they don't understand that it's satire or that it's All the time. comedy? All the time. I, and, and frankly, majority of it's because of the word bro. Like when I started this, bro was... A word everybody used and it didn't have quite the negative you know connotations that it does now both brotopia came out talking about silicon broke valley bro culture all of those things and i get a lot of visceral reactions to just the name just the handle name corporate bro like oh fuck that guy fuck that guy well the whole point is i'm making fun of like this i'm like making fun of this world like i'm calling the bullshit on this but people don't want to go there god we could talk at length about how polarized people are and how quick people are to be pissed about things and that's kind of what we're all tuning ourselves to is to be upset. And a lot of that is thanks to social media. But yeah, a lot of people don't receive it that well. I think because of that, there's a slight barrier to entry for my content. Like I think it's similar to sales. To get into my content, you need to see it a few times. Buy into the shtick. Like a lot of comedians, you, you don't like them and then you hear enough jokes and you're like, oh, I, I, you start to get on their level and they're like, oh, now you're immersed. And so once people are in, they love it. But I'm not going to say it's for everyone. It's definitely not for everyone. Yeah. But, and I will say, I mean, just especially salespeople who've experienced either the exact thing that you're depicting or versions of that. I mean, it, it obviously resonates with them. They're like, okay, one of us, someone's bringing this totally. to light. Uh, I think the goal also, you, I, I heard you mention this before, is to encourage more accountability just yeah. in this world. Just accountability. I mean, just across the board. A lot of my stuff recently has been making fun of CEOs and, sorry, and, and, and layoffs and so forth. And, Absolutely. And, and just like the heartlessness that has been taking place and has taken place for so long. And now social media has allowed people to expose it. There was a huge video that went viral of an account executive who was fired from Cloudflare. She posted her layoff video and it was like, it was a tough listen. 
And like her story, while it blew up in the media, is hers is this story's been happening for years. And so a lot of what I like to do is just call bullshit on this whole idea of professional. I think professional is often used as a crutch to be fake and remove the humanity out of business and life, which is just fundamentally irresponsible and stupid to do because business is relationships and that's as fundamentally human. And so a lot of people don't like that. I've flown very close to the sun many times. I'm waiting for my cease and desist, my lawsuits to hit. Yeah, Which Larry, might be someone, yeah, any listeners shot? out here want to defend me when that happens, <laughs> that would be really great. In the court of public opinion, it's it's a good thing. But you still got people being like, how dare she do that? Like, it's private information. It's like, companies don't give a shit about you. Businesses are there to make money. Like, that's capital. That's how it works. And I'm not saying that's wrong, necessarily. But I say, don't fall in love with your company because it'll never love you back. Like, that's just, that's true. You fall in love with the people you work with at your company. And you want to work for those people. You don't want to work for the company itself. You want to work for the people. And the more people that people are, it's all going to be better. So, yeah, I try to call the bullshit. I make enemies doing that. And uh, I can die on that hill. I'm okay going down on that hill. Stop fucking with people. That's it. I, you know, I don't know. I'm no, not trying we, to be the arbiter of justice, but no, I, will I have say, a platform. Like, we work with a lot of businesses that are small business that do care about their people. That the, you know, A lot of them are trying to do their best. So I wouldn't say it applies to everyone, but I, the examples you mentioned, I agree 100%. When a company is hiring a ton of, you know, let's say a, a giant sales force, then shortly after they're laying them off. And these are people that weren't even fully ramped yet. Right. right. I mean, they, you know, they didn't even have an opportunity to miss quota. Right. 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 So that type of thing obviously is no good. You see it a lot. You're, you're right in SaaS. I mean, it's been very, very common there. But I just, I want to say for the people listening, because you have a lot of small business, they're not all bad. No, 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 not at all. I'm definitely not saying they're all bad. Small businesses are the ones where the relationships tend to be the best, where you get more of that FaceTime. It's, it's just, be, it becomes, as companies get bigger, it's harder to maintain that culture of humanity. And that's the challenge. But of course, no business, just like a band, no band playing in concerts in their garage, like doesn't want to go play Madison Square Garden. It's not like a band can go interact with every single one of their fans, people, like they're going to lose some of that humanity. That's how it works. But it's, it's just not losing sight of that. And, and I'm glad you were doing that. I remember, the, I think you put out a video at this point, maybe even a couple of years ago, where it was like the CEO was laying off a large portion of their team. Then they went off on like, I think they were at their like lake house or it was yeah. like a retreat, yeah, yeah. right? And yeah. like, I'm just heartbroken over this. Right? Yeah, wiping their tears of money. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's the same thing. I mean, again, last week, private equity firm that had acquired a previously public company laid off 400 people and the guy laying them off was on his yacht. He was literally on his yacht. He couldn't even blur his background. Dude, what are you doing? Like, blur your background. I mean, that's just stupid. That's just dumb, heartless shit right there. Like, layoffs happen. Layoff, healthy businesses, they lay people off. That's how it works. I'm not saying layoffs are bad, but just, like, have some compassion. Yeah. <laughs> on your yacht? Like, dude. Agreed. Agreed. So, let's say, on a long enough time scale, what, what would you say is, like, kind of the ultimate goal, corporate bro, with the content, putting it all out? Like, what would you say? That was success. What would success? I, I get this question a lot, and the answer is I don't. I don't know. I like bouncing from project to project. You know, we shot we shot our web series. Working with different brands is is very interesting and fun and unique challenges. Just launched a podcast. I run a small investment syndicate. Speaking of things that I hate and want to become VC, I want to run something like that and invest in some of these smaller. Obviously, AI is a hot a hot word right now, but uh, kind of creator AI future SaaS companies and and teaching people how to do that. There's a financial literacy component. So my mom was like, that's her, her whole mission has been financial literacy and teaching people how to invest. And I want to be able to do that too. Cause I think that's just something that a lot of people don't get in school. So I, I can't be the first to say this, but ultimately it sounds like 
there was a number of people that you were around that, let's say the sales community that was taken advantage of, and you took a stand, putting out a bunch of content, and then maybe the ultimate goal is to take them with you, right? And pay it forward and, and help the very people that you saw being taken advantage of. I think that's fair. And again, like I, the whole high horse, like self-righteousness, I, I, I hear it, but it, it's not untrue. Like I do want that. People laugh more when they're happy. And that's why I went after making fun of the layoffs and, and so forth. Like a lot of people who follow my stuff were getting laid off and that sucks. And so I was like, well, how can I bring some levity to this situation? And some people were like too soon, but most people were like top common. I caught the other, it was like, I just got laid off and I, I needed this. Like, that's all I can ask for. Like, that means I did what I was trying to do. And I don't always do that. Sometimes I miss. I can understand. I actually have empathy towards this because the same thing, I'm a, very much a, a sales CEO you know, in the in the early years, if I didn't sell, I didn't eat. I mean, sales is such an integral part of a company. And I think a lot of people from the outside don't experience what a salesperson experiences, like being hung up on a hundred times, right? Yep. Just the day-to-day grind of that. And so much of it is mental. Uh, you know, just the fact that your, your win percentage is going to be so much lower than the amount of losses that you take. Right. And then to be able to endure that continuously over time and just whether you're a BDR or an account executive or just, just beyond, it's, it's, it's grueling work. So the other thing I was going to ask you about is, you know, you, you pick an enemy. And I'm curious, marketing seems to come up <laughs> all the time yes. as being the enemy of sales. Yes. Yeah. I mean, marketing is, you know, it's like what those who can't do teach and those who can't sell go into marketing. It's funny because obviously I'm a marketer. Like that's the joke now is I'm, I make video content. I work with brands and I do marketing essentially. But when you're a salesperson, you know, all you want is hot leads. All you want is marketing support, marketing just to do their job. And a lot of them don't. Again, there's bad salespeople, there's bad marketers, but a lot of my shtick is just shitting on marketing, mostly because coming from the sales side, huge ass at 111-222-333 is probably not a hot lead. I still believe that the best marketers have had some sales experience. I think a lot of people in life would be better served if they had to spend some time on the phones, have some real perspective. You literally went through it and then you, you get to a point that things start snowballing, things start improving, you start closing a few more and then a few more and then people start to see that you've closed more and then suddenly... You've got a podcast and you've got a whole room dedicated to podcast and yeah. you got a hundred people working for you. Well, and I'm also the belief that, you know, I guess maybe it's just because I'm, I'm so biased towards sales that I think marketing and sales really should be one function and like one team working together. It shouldn't be like marketing does, you know, X, Y, Z while sales does something different. Like marketing brings in on the leads and, and sales closes the leads. It's really should be, you know, them, the two communicating with one another, sales saying, well, here's what's working, here's what's not. And then marketing adjusting the messaging and, you know, the best organizations are that way. Like sales and marketing work very, very closely and the theory I kind of subscribe to, and maybe this is divisive, but it's like you either build a product or you sell a product and everything else supports those two functions, period. And so marketing being part of that sales motion, any healthy, successful company has done that well. You know, I love, I love marketing, but I can't like publicly, you know, really admit that. Oh, it's hilarious. The character can't admit that, you know. Yeah. The leads but, suck because of marketing. Yeah. Right. It's marketing's fault. Yeah. Just blame everything on marketing. And I love the video you did with just talking about the, the, the different ways in which like salespeople spend their time versus the marketing people spend their time. I think yeah. the marketing people, are, they're going out to eat. And, you know, yeah. They're not in the office till 11. You know, they got their hour and a half lunch. They got to do their foam roll and stretching in the afternoon. Maybe grab a latte. And salespeople are just sweating from seven to like end of work day, whatever that is. Got to grind. The salesperson's job is just never done. I mean, it's so hard. Like imagine if your professional life hinged on a number. And if you don't hit that number, you're gone. No other functions have that. They have them in theory. You know, marketing will say, we've got the, we've got, we want to grow this. We want to have this much engagement on that. But nobody's like, CEO's not really like, yeah, you guys didn't get enough downloads on that ebook. 
so you're gone. No, it's not like that. I mean, sales is literally revenue. So you miss those things. There's honor in that. And there's also horrible, horrible stress that comes with that. And guess what? You hit your number, then the next quarter comes. You're back at zero and you do it again. And you do it again. And then the year happens. You either hit your number that year, you didn't, and it starts again. So it never ends. And it feels that way a lot in content too. It's like you make a video. It does well or it doesn't. It does well. You're king of the world. It does terrible. You're not funny anymore. You should quit. You do it again next week. And the week after that, and the week after, and it's like, you ask the question, what's the end game? I don't, I don't know yet. The world will have a lot of different options and you just got to kind of pick the doors that present themselves to you. But just any other function dealing with their job quantified like that, I think there's something to be said for why salespeople are the way they are. What, what would you say just in terms of evaluating salespeople, what separates like the great ones from, you know, good mediocre versus the ones that just aren't successful? Yeah, I think the best salespeople a, you don't know if it's the best quarter of their life or the worst quarter of their life. They're just like very even. They're very consistent. They're also very process oriented. And I think that's for a lot of people in life. Being a baseball guy, I always think about it like this. You want to win every pitch. Your pitcher, you want to win on every single pitch, but you also can't get hung up on every single pitch. But if you throw your best pitch every single time, you can start looking at it over a week, a month, a season, a career. And if you've done that, you're more likely going to succeed. You know, you get hung up or you lost a deal, you make an error in the field and you just you, eats you, eats you, it hurts everything else that you do subsequently. So the best salespeople are just honing that process, working on that process. Everything is part of that process, but they're not stuck. They're very focused on doing the little things right, but they're not stuck on those. Because if they do the little things right over the course of a year, things will work out better for them. So that's what I think typically separates the best salespeople. They're also just, they got a lot of grit, mental fortitude. Like you said, they lose a lot. We do a lot. We're professional losers. Being able to weather that from a, a mental standpoint, the best do that. And I do believe most people have a shelf life in sales. How long can you last before you sell out and go to management? You know, and then you start becoming more of a therapist to your reps versus selling yourself. There's something to be said for that and having that perspective. So those folks who are mentally resilient, so process-oriented, mentally resilient, and just consistent. And I want to go back to the, just the the content creation of like, I know you're on a lot of different platforms now, whether it's, you know, TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Ugh. Meta, whatever. Um, uh, but LinkedIn, is that is that the one you're, you're just, you're, you're killing it on? LinkedIn, yeah. <laughs> LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn and I have a very... You're like the Mr. Beast of LinkedIn. Yeah, wow, that's a gross overstatement, but I'll take it. I love LinkedIn. So I've been doing content on LinkedIn for a long time. And I actually got banned from LinkedIn for doing content in the early, earliest, like 2019 classic move. Got a, I got fired on a Friday and by fired, I mean, they kicked me off the platform on a Friday of a long weekend so that I could quote cool off because apparently corporate bro isn't a real person. And this was at the time where you had to be a quote unquote real person to be on LinkedIn. And I was like, you guys, Hey, you guys know who I am. Like your whole company knows who I am. You all follow me. Like why you guys need content. All their content on there was Richard Branson inspirational quotes or stupid math problems. It was like Facebook and the it's like boomer Facebook on, on, on LinkedIn. But now fast forward to 2024, wherever we are, I'm part of their creator program. I'm like one of their top voices on LinkedIn. Now they've kind of realized, oh, well, content would be kind of sweet on our platform if we want a social network that continues to thrive. So they've invested a lot in creators now, which their business is growing like crazy. And for that reason, because now people are actually getting content they give a shit about. So I love LinkedIn. It's also just like, I mean, it's the lowest hanging fruit for people who are thinking about getting into social media, like go to LinkedIn. I mean, especially in business, right? Like that's where people are thinking like, 
with their business mind. You have a good personal brand on there or even a good good business brand, right? You're, it's going to translate to revenue for you. It just is. So I can't stress how truly important I think LinkedIn is for anybody who's trying to either build their business or build their personal brand, especially right now, given that it's not saturated. Yeah. There's a lot of interesting things happening on LinkedIn, like the, especially a lot of like the long form content where either somebody is announcing, I just, I just quit this job and this is why I, yeah. I felt, you know, that this point in my life, this is why this was very helpful to me. Or you have a CEO giving life advice. It, just the long form stuff is, is hilarious. You, you know, I can't tell how much of it is genuine versus chat GPT. Right of of the of the long form stuff, but I love your content because it's you know it's great videos. What, what's your thought on the long form text content? Yeah, so there there is some good stuff out there. There's also a lot of, like you said, Chat GBT writing stuff for for CEOs and people just trying to stay relevant, stay kind of in the top of mind. And you can read through that pretty quickly. You can kind of see what's bullshit and what's not. You know, you'll find your people just like any other platform. You find your the people you resonate with. You follow them. It takes a little upfront work, right? You got to curate your feed. You got to find the right people because. I'm sure base level LinkedIn is not not the best. Just the way if you log on to TikTok for the first time, you're like, what the fuck is this? You got to like a few things. You got to follow a few things. And that starts to triangulate. So, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of people on there who are just virtue signaling and spewing platitudes and a bunch of bullshit. But there's also some really good stuff on there, too. You hear me, LinkedIn? Can you believe I'm talking nicely about you? <laughs> you fuckers. Yeah, it's like boost the algorithm because I mean that that I imagine must get frustrating too. I mean, we've seen content pieces we'll put up, and not, not even just LinkedIn, but whether it's TikTok or Instagram. Sometimes you'll put up the exact same piece of content, then you just re-upload it again. Sometimes even different thumbnail, maybe a little, like a second shorter, and it hits. First time you put it up, nothing. It's so frustrating. Yeah, the whole algorithmic approach to this stuff, and I get it from a social media. If I'm running a social media company, their whole goal is time on platform. That's why they're putting inflammatory posts in front of you, shit to rile you up, piss you off, make you want to swipe, make you want to engage. Um, it's really frustrating because you'll make something and you'll sit there and say, is this for me or is this for the algorithm? Is this what I think the algorithm's going to actually show my followers? Like they've chosen to follow me. Why can't they just see the content I make when I make content? Now the algorithm's basically the way they work is they'll go out to a subset. So it'll go to 5% of your followers. If it does well there, it goes to 10. If it does there, well, 25. And then it kind of expands out like a, droplet landing in a pond but never a hundred never a hundred yeah never a hundred like what happened to the good old days of a chronological feed where it's like anybody i followed i'll just scroll and i'll see like timestamp for when they post it gone so i heard you share this in an interview this sounds a little bit clickbaity that uh, you had five strategies to cultivate a large and engaged social media community you said intentionality consistency authenticity experiment and engage do you, yeah. sh- do you still agree with those yeah yeah i mean people always they tend to lead with what they think other people want you're never going to last on social media unless you do what you want. So I, I do believe in that. I believe in the consistency piece. I want to be a content creator. Okay, go make content for six months and hit me up. Then I'm happy to talk to you. Like prove that you have the mental wherewithal to like produce and have it mean nothing. I mean, for me, I didn't, this was mostly a choice, but I didn't make any money on my social media for six years. I genuinely just like, was like, I don't even want to think about that. I just want to make content and stuff that I like. So for me, it was, that was like the authentic part. It was like, just what's my voice? What's my truth? I said, I'm going to make a video a week and I'm not going to miss a week. And I think I didn't miss my first week for five years. Something like that. You know, the engaging part is like similar to what I was saying on LinkedIn. Like if you want to exist in a certain space, participate in that space. So those people will start to know who you are. And, and that's the earliest thing. Easiest thing you can do early on is just start engaging. You don't need to put out content. Just be part of the combo. Try a bunch of different shit. I mean, you mentioned like, you posted the same thing in different places and they performed differently. 
unfortunately, it feels like there's no rhyme or reason to certain things. So try the text post, try the short video post, try the informative, try the comedic, you know, and then you'll start to figure out what what works for you. It's like with anything. Experiment a little bit. You'll start to pick up on some trends and kind of go from there. And at the same time, knowing an algorithm can sometimes be completely random. And if you could share just because I, I want people to have an appreciation because I think it's, it's obviously well-deserved for what goes into the videos that you put out. You don't just hold your phone up and start <laughs> talking. I mean, if you could explain what, what the process looks like to put these out. Admittedly, you don't have to do this to, to, to be successful. In fact, TikTok has done a really good job, much to my chagrin, of really reducing the barrier to entry on content. But for me, I tend to live more in the sketch comedy place. So I like to have a full skit. I like to have a scene. And I'll do other ones where it's just a bunch of one-liners in different places. But it always started for me with Corporate Bro was third person, as I mentioned. So it always starts with with like a tagline. Corporate Bro, and, I, and I'll just use this example because it makes a lot of sense. Corporate Bro finds a lucky penny. Okay, so we're going to build a scene around Corporate Bro finding a lucky penny. So what's now we go to what's our comedic game. The game could be escalation or a parody. You know, you've heard of like laws of threes. And so what I'll take in this example is I'll say, okay, let's pretend the penny is super unlucky, actually. Like, he finds a lucky penny. He's like, oh, it's going to be a good day. Now we'll do three examples of him having a really shitty day, but we'll escalate each one getting worse and worse and worse. And then we'll bookend it with a, like he launches the penny into the ocean and throws out his arm. Like one last, like really bad day sort of thing. And so that's kind of how I'll build it. I'll do the tagline. I'll do the funny and then I'll write a script. I'll go into an office and and film it usually on a night or a weekend because I don't exactly have an an office I get to go into and then I'll edit it. And so I, I would say, so like, what's the total time? Probably about, I mean, summer as fast as two hours, most are closer to like six to eight hours start to finish. And you'll get there and you'll like have some other lines. You're like, oh, maybe I should do this or I'll try that. And I'll, you know, film us some extra stuff. And, but oftentimes the best videos just happen in moments of inspiration. You're just like, oh shit, this is like a really, this is an idea we got to just shoot. Like, let's just go shoot it and you can rip it out in a couple hours. And sometimes those are the best. Have you, it's a slog. Have you had um, like videos where you just, you felt this thing is awesome. It's going to hit. You put it online. So many doesn't times. doesn't resonate. But then conversely, you have another video. You're like, it's okay. And it just pops off. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, my barometer of funny is just gone. You just start to doubt yourself. But yes, I've, ha- I've had that happen on both sides. But then there's times where it's like, I know this isn't going to do that well, but this is for me. This is what I think is funny. And if people were on my deepest level of sick, twisted comedy, they'll appreciate this. But most people, I just know won't. And I'll post those. And I can be confident in those. But I... I I mean, it hurts to be like, oh, this is a banger. And then you post it and it is shitty. It does real shitty. And you're just like, I don't know. I got nothing. So what what advice would you give to just say, I know you don't like the term influencer, but just say as aspiring content creators. I mean, we have we have a lot of firms that listen to this podcast that are putting out content on social that's not just, you know, I'll fight for you, but it's just here's what we're all about. You know, here's some FAQs. What do you do if you get pulled over? You have a DUI, like just informational, but just what advice would you give just content creators in general? the same five from from before from like the the linkedin stuff the the authentic the you know engaging consistent experimentation all that all of that stuff but i think it's try to figure out what your voice is don't try to be someone you're not because it's just never going to work you know figure out what your little differentiator is and just hammer that and i think again everyone knows this but people buy from people and as much as you can infuse your own voice and humanity into it, it's going to feel different and it's going to feel truer. I obviously love comedy and I know the legal world isn't exactly funny all the time. And I'm like, shit, take a risk. See what happens. Like do something, do something crazy. I see the the personal injury, like lawyers ads and stuff. And I'm like, maybe they're not trying to be funny, but it's like, I remember them. 
I remember those those people on the uh, the billboards and the buses and all that stuff. What's amazing about this is the ones that you remember the most are genuinely the most successful too, right? Because yeah. they get the most calls. Yep. Now there's a lot of more traditional style lawyers out there that see that and they think, wow, this is an abomination. This yeah, is so gimmicky bullshit to the legal profession, but then their phone's not ringing, right? So now their hand is almost forced in that they have to market or advertise in some way and they have to be memorable. Yep. But it got a little bit extreme. Um, there was a law that was passed in the you know, in the 1970s that you know, allowed for legal advertising. And this is when you got these guys dressing up as gorillas and you know, yeah, yeah. swinging hammers and yeah, the hammer on top one, of, yeah, I still remember know, that. semi-trucks. Yeah. So it's gotten a little bit out of control. But that being said, I don't think they would be doing that if it wasn't working. So to, to your point, it is important to be memorable. Now, just like on TikTok, you know, I think when TikTok was first taken off, I saw a bunch of lawyers, everyone was doing these TikTok dances. And we were yeah. saying like, you don't have to do that. You like, don't you, have to do you that. Can, you can do other types of content. Yeah. Yes, there's so many different types of content you can do, and it's kind of figuring out what what works for you. But again, those things are memorable, and I agree. Some sometimes you got to play the game, you got to step into the arena and play the game a little bit. I would say, like, if I'm going, I would just go back to those kind of five bullets on on experimenting with stuff. But I would be there. I would do something, even if it's hiring someone younger and being like, "Hey, go make some shit, see what happens." Like you're starting to see companies hire internal. We'll call them. But like internal social media managers who are making social, like we'll call them influencers, like company influencers. Duolingo is like the prime example of a company that's got 5 million followers on TikTok because they had their mascot doing TikTok dances and other like hilarious shit. Had nothing to do with their product, but they love the brand. And I guarantee more people are, are downloading Duolingo as a result. I know it's a little bit more nuanced and difficult in the legal profession. And I've got ahead of a, I guess, somewhat of a serious question, but I'm just more so curious than anything else. Have you seen just doing these different skits and sketches and just comedy as a whole, have you seen the reception of that change over the past several years? Just, you know, you, you start to see a lot of people getting very offended. Yeah, um, yeah. Certain types of comedy, you see comedians speaking out that they don't want to do, do comedy sketches at universities. Yep. Have you seen any of that play out just through, you know, the content you've done? Oh, yeah. Many times. And it's really exhausting. It's truly exhausting because I think we're getting away from this assuming best intent sort of situation. You, know, you don't have to get offended. It was just funny, right? And you can, Yeah, right. Like you're choosing to be mad about something. This is ridiculous. But I, I got called out recently for calling myself a white guy. Like I was making fun of myself for being a white guy. And like, I was just trying to be a little bit self-aware. And they're like, yeah, too woke for me. And I was like, I'm sorry. So, so are you defending the white guy? You're offended on my behalf as a white guy from making fun of myself and being self-aware but i like this we've come so full circle like the, now you are f- offended on my own behalf when i'm making fun of myself so like it starts to get really difficult when people are getting offended on behalf of other people who aren't offended in the first place and like it's not to say the whole world is like that but we just again we've gotten away from assuming best intent like if you're watching a comedy page or going to a comedy show like they're doing jokes. A lot of things that people say in comedy shows aren't real. And so it's hard. It's definitely much harder. It forces you to evolve, though. Like, you got, you know, you can't just go out and say offensive shit. Not that I'm trying to do that, but my goal is to walk the line. I want to straddle that line where someone says, okay, I'm, I'm not offended. I feel like maybe I should be, but I can't figure out the reason why, so I'm not offended. And they're just, like, thinking to themselves, they're like, this is, this is funny, but I can't tell if it's because it's wrong or right, like that, like when you can't decide, I'm like, that's where I want to be. It's a sharp little edge. And if you go too far, you get destroyed. And if you come up short, then everyone's like, meh, not funny. But the short answer is yes, I've seen a huge shift in that. And it's not ideal, but that's 
the ebbs and flows of society and we'll flip back to the other side at some point. Everyone will be going way too far and it'll come back again. Won't go far enough. And that's the realm of comedy. You're not going to be for everyone. So then I'm sure you've been asked this before, but just Ross versus corporate bro. How much is one like the other? Is corporate bro more like you or are you more like corporate bro? Yeah. I mean, I would say Ross is 65% of corporate. I mean, corporate bro is like supposed to be outrageous and offensive and irreverence and I would say I'm irreverent and I, and I believe I like the artist, the, the comedian in me is like, nothing should be off limits. But Ross is also like, yeah, there's times and places. Corporate bro for me was a lot of what I wished I could say as Ross, but never would. And it was a nice facade to play this character. And, and, you know, you could argue I use it at times as a way to take accountability or to, to not to shirk accountability and be like, oh, that was the character. That wasn't Ross. And yeah, of course, especially when you're trying to hold a corporate job, you know, you need to delineate yourself and your character. I will say now, so what I'm trying to do right now, I'm rebrand isn't the right word, but evolve the brand away from the bro piece. So even in like the podcast we just launched, I'm not on there as corporate bro. I'm on there as corp. Like people call me corp in life and I'm okay with that. But again, the bro thing is going to stop some people from listening. Fuck that. Another douchey white bro. I don't want that system one response to be negative towards me. And I can't necessarily control that. I mean, my hope is that then they'll listen to a few times like, oh, like he's not like that. He's married. He's like to his high school sweetheart. He's like runs these various organizations and does all these things that are just like very antithesis of a corporate bro and that he plays a character. And Ross is not that guy. He's very thoughtful about these things. But, you know, the reality is like I am going to run into that no matter what. But I am trying to evolve that. I'm trying to lose the bro out of the name. I've been trying to get that handle off of Instagram and other places. A, it's a six-figure problem for me. I've, and that's just of what if people have told me of what I'm aware of, like revenue-wise, of like speaking engagements and brand things where people are like, yes, we got all the way to the top and CEO is on board. But then we had somebody come in from somewhere else who was just like, yeah, I don't know about this, like working with a guy called bro. No knock on you. Well, kind of a knock on me. But all things equal, I fundamentally believe if, if I wasn't corporate bro, if I was just like, corporate dude or something i would be in a slightly different position it's interesting saying dude and bro you know the, the guy the founder of dude wipes yeah you know they're, yeah. they're killing it not killing it. business yeah and their whole thing i mean they talk about like the the billions of butts that they wiped with these like yeah. you know like uh, great business wonderful business. Total master class of branding yeah yeah but dude seems to work right no yeah. one's offended by dude, dude. right just, but again bro just kind of became this negative like you think about barstool culture and frat culture and misogyny and it's all gotten kind of like lumped into into one for x reasons y reasons doesn't matter it just has and so as someone who walks around with the name corporate bro there's gonna be people who don't like it so i have to adjust and that's that's part of what i'm trying to do then wouldn't discount the fact that you've got millions of followers you know, yeah, no, there's still people, you know, right? I mean, there's... those who get like the rational person, it's always like squeaky wheel, right? Is like, like the, the loud m minority of people who are pissed off. Like, I just keep going to hear from them more than the most people who are like, yeah, this is funny. And they live their lives and they don't need to say anything or want to say anything. And that's the truth. But I don't want people to be pissed off at me. I don't like when people are mad at me. I don't want them to hate me, especially for reasons that in my opinion aren't true, but at all for any reason, I still feel like I have to do something about it. I have to take some steps on my end to adjust the brand, rebrand, not even change the voice, but just the perception. So I don't think the comedy will change, but I got to do something. But the whole brand, I mean, it seems like that's opened up a lot of opportunities for you. I mean, obviously come a long way from being BDR at Oracle, right? Yeah. And did you ever anticipate that it would, you know, God, catch on no. the way it has? God, no. 
it was purely catharsis for myself. It just turned out sales is a large profession across the world. So what's really cool is, you know, I've gotten to speak at teams in Asia and Europe and Latin America. And like, it's universal. All the salespeople feel the same way. They're like, my product sucks. My quota is too high and marketing doesn't do fucking shit. And it just hits. It doesn't matter what language. It doesn't matter what geography or industry. It's very universal. The struggle's the, the same. And so that was really cool to kind of realize that it was touching people in various you know parts of the world. Yeah. So I wish I could say I was more intentional about it, but I sort of fell into it. And I think that's a big piece. Is, so it's so interesting because the youth coming up, they're like, what's the top profession they want to be? They all want to be influencers. Like YouTube influencers, like a top three wished profession for kids. As someone who business school, who's like Harvard business school is like, Hey Ross, like I want to be an influencer like you. Like, could you hop on a call with me and like talk to me about it? And I'm like, you don't want to be an influencer. You want to be passionate about something that you can talk about and then become an influencer on that topic. Like working, they're working the wrong direction. And that to me is like the toughest thing to hear. Cause I'm like, you can't just decide this. I'm sure some people, I'm sure if you're born with the last name Kardashian, anything you do, you're an influencer. Sure. But most people, for me, it was like, I like making comedy and I like making videos and I didn't start because I wanted it to be a big thing. I just did it because I genuinely loved it. I would wake up on weekends and go do it. I didn't give a fuck like if people were watching. I knew my friends would watch and think it was funny. I couldn't wait to show my friends like my stupid little video. And that's how it became because I loved it. And it's so cheesy and so lame, but like it's it's really interesting to see the how things have flipped and everyone's trying to work backwards. Like I want to be an influencer, but I don't know about what. Well, then you won't be one. I want to be a content creator. Well, you can go make content. There's a very... Starting to hear now in publications, like the difference between content creator and influencer. Like there's a lot of people who are creating content and they have a lot of followers and they're on TikTok, but they have no influence. And so I go back and forth because I think influence is such a cringy word, but it's the brands are going after the people who genuinely have influence, who can make people change perceptions and, and make people act and so forth. But there's a lot of content creators who are putting out stuff and some of it's good, but there's no influence on top of that content creation. To me, the influence comes from the passion and like the true labor of love and of the topic or just making things generally speaking. Yeah. Before you know it, maybe it already exists, but there's going to be like actual majors and, and classes and colleges about how to be an influencer. There, There is. You're starting to see it. It's like entrepreneurship. Totally. No, it is. And it's, it's more like you're starting to see social media management, influencer kind of like management stuff. I haven't seen anywhere with classes directly on like being an influencer, so to speak. I mean, film school. You want to go make stuff, go to film school. But it's coming. It's very much coming. Yeah, I'm the same way. I'm, I'm not a fan of the, of the term influencer. I'm torn if this is like a good or bad thing that so many people want to be influencers. If it's just like a byproduct of of a society that's getting like these dopamine hits and they associate that with success or- you know, 100%. But I'm with you. I, I think people should do what they're passionate about. I mean, people follow others just because they're either super specialized at what they're doing. They have unique insights or unique take on something. They don't even have to be right. How many great podcasts are there where someone's just sharing their perspective on whether it's like politics or yeah. certain current events and- who knows if they're right? They could be wrong every single time. Right. Confidently incorrect. Who knows? Yeah. But you kind of like resonate with it. And there's, there's so many options for content. If people ask me, like, if, if social media disappeared, would you be pissed or like, would you be happy? I honest to God would be happy. Like, yes. I would be genuinely thrilled. Yes. If social media disappeared. I think it has been a net negative. It is. Been, I agree. Yes. It, it has. And it's because of where we've gotten. Like nobody knew what the internet was going to deliver us. What it was going to be capable of. The early days of the internet were so, you go back and look at it and these like the early viral videos are so fun loving and like cheeky and like nobody was thinking in these malevolent We had like ways. the hamster dance. Yeah. You know, E-bombs world. And like, I don't know, now we've just seen what the power can do when people start to try and use it in malicious ways. And then you throw AI on top of content right now and deep fakes. And I sit here and sometimes I'm worried. I'm like, God, there's 
500 videos of me on the internet. Someone could spoof my voice and call my parents. Like you're seeing that with scammers now. You're seeing deep fakes of Tom Hanks and endorsing a brand that's not him. And so I wonder what the like limits are. Where, where are we going from here? Because I'm a little bit concerned. People are like, well, then why don't you quit? Well, A, it's my job. And I like to believe the content I'm doing isn't malicious. Like it's not trying to be malicious. There's a lot of people who are making good content with good intent and like are giving joy to the world. But again, these algorithms, like they, they're pushing divisive stuff. They're pushing us to opposite ends of a spectrum. And that sucks. So gun in my head, delete, get rid of social media altogether. I actually, I say this without knowing what else I would be doing, but if I didn't do what I did right now, I probably wouldn't have social media. I'd probably have a LinkedIn, but I probably wouldn't have any other. I wouldn't have Instagram. I wouldn't have TikTok. Certainly wouldn't have Facebook. I just wouldn't. Unless, of course, I'm a small business owner and I'm trying to build a business, then I would. I probably would. But if you're asking Ross, the human, isolated, probably wouldn't have it. Yeah, I mean, it's kind of like the, it's almost like the analogy of like, yes, I'm on social media, but I don't want my kids to be. Yeah. Like what year do you, what age do you let them on social media? Never. No, yeah, never. <laughs> yeah. It's like when do you get, I do, when I get a cell phone? Yeah. Block all the, block all the apps on it. I, I don't know. It's wild. I can't even imagine raising like a kid right now. And I probably will at some point in the not too distant future. So I haven't even gotten, I haven't even gotten there yet. You know, I can barely raise a succulent. So you know, my succulents all die. A kid? You kidding me? No, no chance. So then what's a day in the life look like today? A day in the life. It's always different. What I love about what I do is I can do whatever I want, whenever I want. The downside is I'm like a one man business. And if I don't do something, I don't get something. So a day in life can be a lot of different things. It's a lot of writing, a lot of emails, a lot of like talking to brands, just like anybody else. I still have to do a lot of Zoom calls, you know, all, all the classic corporate bullshit, even as a one man startup, so to speak. I'll be listening to founders who are pitching us on us investing in their companies, whatever those may be. I read a lot. I have to be up on current events. I have to be up on the tech trends and all of these things and try to hence be relevant with the news cycle and all of those things. So a lot of reading, a lot of writing, a lot of like calls, emails, you know, normal normal bullshit. And then I'll film a couple days a week. I'll film editing. There's so much writing and just sitting there, like trying to think of ideas and hating yourself. Like I said, the best ideas happen really quickly and you can be in these inspired modes and inspiration will hit the worst times. You're like driving or something. It's like, I'm sorry. I, I got to like, just pull over and write this down. I have to write this down or I will forget it. And that would be tragic. But the reality is you also have to sit there like authors do and just crunch out pages. Most of it's going to be garbage, but that's just part of the reps. So it's a lot of that. This is the season where I do a lot of speaking. So flying around to sales kickoffs and conferences and so forth and doing brand workshops or humor and leadership workshops and, and things like that. But when I do some advisory work for early stage companies, so I do use my MBA. People are always like, why'd you get your MBA? And I'm like, huh, it's a fair question at this point, but I do like to apply it you yes. know, at, at times. So there you go. I do a lot of that. I wrote a while back. Um, still gaming? Still game. What you playing? A game? <laughs> Okay, please don't judge me, everyone. I am like a super nerd, so I'm playing World of Warcraft again. Are you serious? I am. Um, I play a lot of Dota 2. Uh, I oh, play a lot of Call of Duty. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I painted Warhammers growing up, like little action figures. Yeah. I was a competitive Halo player, a competitive Warcraft 3 player. And, so you're uh, saying Call of Duty? I play Call of Duty. I play a lot of Call of Duty. Ranked play uh, is starting up. Season 1. I know. I know. The new one, I'm just like, I feel like the new one's just... It's all the sweat lords who have converted yes. over. Like, where are all the scrubs? I need some scrubs yes, out there to help me. Skill based feel... matchmaking. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was telling my wife about this. Yeah, I was telling her, I'm like, God, this skill based matchmaking is bullshit. She's like, What are you talking about? I'm like, it, The better that I get, 
the better lobbies I'm being put in. I'm being put in with these like guys yeah. sweating, crunching Adderall, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, I can't have fun anymore. Just shrimped over the you computers. And I'm like, isn't that bullshit? And she's like, who cares? What are you talking about? Yeah, yeah. But who cares? You understand? Yeah. Oh, I totally understand. And it's a, I love video games because, I mean, it's <laughs> sounds bad, but it's like a lot of stimuli, and you got to make a lot of quick decisions, and it's competitive, and I love those all of those elements together makes like a very enjoyable time for me. So I got a group of friends. We always play hobbies. It's like golf. I still play competitive baseball and then gaming. Like those are my outlets of gaming is great because you shut off the world, right? You're only you're hyper-focused on something. But with the World of Warcraft re-release, took me back 20 years because I was playing that shit in like 05. And a lot of my friends are also back on it. So it's like, Yes, it's super nerdy, but we're all sitting there on Discord together chatting. Like it's very social. Yep. It's like all the boys are booting up. Yep. So it it, it becomes just that's more what we of a got hangout. going here. Yeah, we're, we're squatting up this weekend. Yeah, I mean that's what it, that's what it's all about. It's just like slaying nerds with your boys. Like what what could be better? So I get a lot of shit for it, but I absolutely love it. I'm built my computer. I've got a whole like gaming setup. Oh, so your PC, PC. Yep. Okay. PC, I mean PC or PlayStation. Yep. I got them well, both, smart. depending on the game. Smart. I mix it up, console console or PC. I mean, you, higher skill ceiling when you got mouse and keyboard. But um, some games I just prefer to play with a controller. Now, I've asked a few people this. I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on this when it comes to getting advice. I know a lot of yeah. people give advice. Sure. What's been the best piece of advice you've received and what's been the worst piece of advice you've received? Best and worst piece of advice. <laughs> I don't know who told this to me, but it was like the idea of be yourself it's true but it's not quite there it's it's be what you need to be you got to be malleable in a lot of situations like being yourself is the core of it but also being what you need to be when you need to be it to get things done you know there's a lot of facets of who we are as people but to me it's always be what you need to be be resourceful and find a way yep you know like get get shit done there's a lot of room for excuses out there but it's like it all comes down to do what you got to do obviously within the realm of like being a decent human being right as long as it's legal and ethical. Yeah. I mean, you should, God, you should hear the ethics class in business school. It's like, everyone's like, I will walk the line of gray. As long as I'm not breaking the law, if I'm pushing it as debatable, I'll probably do it. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, this is, this is why we need laws. Thank you, yeah. lawyers. It's um, like tax savings is not tax avoidance, right? Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's all that stuff. So that's probably the best advice is like, be what you need to be. So adapt, evolve. And then like the worst, what's the worst advice I've gotten? I think the worst advice it's like not that direct but it's it's this whole mentality of rise and grind like that it's got to be all grind all the time and i'm definitely guilty of you know i work seven days a week like not a hero but i can also play golf on a tuesday like you need to take more space and like realize that it's almost like similar to bodybuilders it's like a big part of their regiment is rest you know so similar with work for me like if i don't take some time to do something else and my whole identity is tied up in work, then I suffer. So like the whole, you always got to be working, you always got to be working thing is just such bullshit to me. And it took me a little while to figure that out. And I got very, very burnt out and the ideas stopped happening. I stopped being happy. And the rise and grind set is probably the worst thing that people push. You don't got to do a cold plunge at 4 a.m. Spoiler. I'll do it at 5 a.m. Right? right, exactly. But I can't say, if I were to tell you, here are all the physical benefits... I've been lying. I mean, yeah, I'm sure it helps with inflammation and everything. I think the whole idea of doing it is because you don't want to do it. But I also can't say that that's what built this company, right? I mean, I started doing that a few months ago, yeah. right? Yeah. 
it's actually funny that now you see this with a lot of the influencers. They're talking about like their morning routines. Yeah. But usually those morning routines came about after they became successful, right. not what helped them become successful. Right, right. And I get it. Like people are looking for that little competitive edge. Like when you're a high performing individual and you just want like one little extra, whatever it is, you'll try a bunch of things. I'm guilty of trying those things. But at the same time, like take some space for yourself. Like there's a mental health component to all this stuff. And whether it's working out or just doing nothing or playing video games, it doesn't matter. Do that shit. You don't have to feel like an asshole because you play video games. Am I saving the world by playing video games? Not even a little bit. No. Could I have cured cancer by now? Potentially. But I want to be happy. <laughs> I want to be happy. Now, if I could have cured cancer, I probably would have, but it's never going to happen for me. Like I said, no hard skills. Agreed. Yeah. So, Russ, as we come to a close, this being the Game Changing Attorney podcast, what does being a game changer mean to you? Being a game changer to me is just like doing what is necessary to affect the game in a, in a positive way, or sorry, in positive space or negative space. So that to me can be someone who comes in and like makes their team better by their own individual performance or someone who knows the right time to also just like withdraw and let somebody else shine, if you will. I I don't I don't want to trigger a bunch of people, but that's why I like LeBron more than Michael Jordan. Oh, you had to drop that right at the end? I'm going to drop that right at the end. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, because LeBron James doesn't have to score. He'll do what he has to do. He'll do what he has to do. If he needs to, you know, drop 10 dimes, he'll do it. If he needs to board, he'll do it. Michael Jordan was like, I'm going to get 40 every game. He was a great defender. But like, that's what he did. And yes, he won six championships, but he also didn't run into the buzzsaw known as the Golden State Warriors. So if he had had to deal with the Warriors, probably a little bit different. But that's what it is to me. It's like being very malleable and making your team better and wherever it needs to. That's what it is to me. Just like being able to affect the game in whatever way required to win. I want to give a huge thank you to Ross Pomerantz for taking the time to speak with us today on the Game Changing Attorney Podcast. If you found this episode valuable, here are three free ways that I can help you grow your law firm. Number one, download the first chapter of my book absolutely free at GameChangingAttorney.com. Number two, you can shoot me a text at 404-531-7691 and I'll answer any question that you've got for me. And finally, number three, if you can leave this podcast a five-star review, it'll help us gain access to more influential thought leaders and bring their lessons learned here to you. For more information on our interview with Ross, see the show notes for this episode in your podcast app or visit legalpodcast.com.